Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. All right, so we're going to uh, share a little bit on marriage to begin with, and then we're going to be talking uh, really to everybody as we talk, uh, as we finish up. But uh, in Genesis 2 and 24, God said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, just wanted to point out a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, the Bible talks about leaving your father and mother. That doesn't mean you need to move 500 miles away. But it does mean that you need to cut the apron strings. That before you're married, your, your number one relationship apart from God is with your parents and your family. But once you get married, your number one relationship is no longer your parents. Your number one relationship is with your spouse. And the two of you together need to be able to talk, pray, and make decisions. Now, you really have not left if you said, well, we can't do that because my parents would not like it. If your parents are influencing the decisions that you feel like you should make, but you won't make them because you're afraid you're going to offend somebody, you haven't left. So there's, there's a leaving. I remember uh, years ago, I married a couple. And his father was nowhere in the picture. And his, his mother, for all practical purposes, um, had, had no man in her life whatsoever except her son. So he gets married. And what began to happen was daily, he would call him at work and say, she, excuse me, would call him at work and say, hey, would you please come and cut the grass? Say, would you please come and move some furniture? Would you please come uh, daily, 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 daily? And uh, his new wife, he thought was unreasonable because she, she felt like the mother-in-law was infringing upon her family and her marriage to her new husband. And, and she was absolutely right. She was right. But he hadn't left. Now, not that you, you forsake your parents and don't help your parents, but your number one responsibility once you become married is to your spouse. And you got to know, it's, it's kind of normal to get things out of balance a bit when you're trying to figure it out. You know, where is the balance and things? But in this situation, as he's talking about that, I think, well, if that was our case and my husband was continually being gone every evening to help my mother-in-law, I would, number one, I would pray. I think, okay, what does my mother-in-law need? Now I know what I need, so I'm going to go over to my mother-in-law's house and I'm going to help her. I would put myself in the equation and I would help my mother-in-law and help my mother-in-law. I would help her so much, she'd probably want to get rid of me and my son, probably, (laughs) or and my her son, my husband. But, um, you know, I think sometimes we need to look at these situations, and and the Bible says to keep on chasing, to to leave your your, um, parents and, and cleave to each other. But that doesn't mean quit being a Christian, being Christ-like. And so in every one of these situations, you always 
temper it with, okay, how would, what would Christ do in this situation? And, and talk to, I, you know, talk together about what's your mom's needs and how can we show her support and love and still love and grow our relationship? Okay. The other part that we wanted to mention, this says you shall cleave unto your spouse. Now, how many of you know what a meat cleaver is? Okay, this has nothing to do with it, all right? It's like, it's kind of nothing at all. It's kind of like the opposite, in fact. In fact, it really means to keep chasing, to keep chasing. Right? Um, men are conquerors. Right? Uh, sometimes I shop with Jeannie. Now, now, we do the Costco thing a lot. But like, if we're going to go to a ladies' clothing store. I got to tell you, the clothing store from this summer, it was so funny because we were another couple that, that loved to shop. And we went in this store, and Dwayne did not want to be there. This was right before lunch, and he was hungry, and he didn't want to think about food. But he'd seen some outfit in the window that he thought I should buy, and he just wanted me to buy it without trying it on because he liked it, whatever. But I had to try it on, plus, you know, then... I had to try that on, and if I'm going to be trying something on, I should try that on. And that on. So I was trying on a lot of things, and I had this 23 couple, outfits couple, couple here just saying, <laughs> and, and Dwayne is sitting off in the corner trying not to have the uh, pass out, and, and they're just like, oh, you should get that, and you should get that. I bought so much stuff. And I walked out, I thought, what did I do? My husband didn't protect me. <laughs> and I spent all this money, and I had to go take most of it back. You didn't have to. You just decided. I did. So, I'm going to tell you something. Women's clothing store, there's something in the floor <laughs> that if you're there very long, it sucks the energy out of your body. It's like if you're there too long, it's like all your energy just is gone and you die. <laughs> you're just going to die. Okay. So, so when, when but that was an example, we were there way over an hour, right? She, she has to try on everything. She has to touch everything. Right? <laughs> I, I, I walk in, I say, I like that, pick it up, go pay for it. And I'm out of there. And I conquered in five minutes or less. And I accomplished something. I conquered it. Well, men are conquerors, you know? And so what we might do when it comes to our spouses, we, we like, okay, I, 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 I want them, I've got them. And now what I need to do is I need to focus on my career, and I've got to provide for my spouse. And we tend to switch our focus, right? When you get married, you can't switch your focus, right? Your spouse under God is your number one pursuit. And the Bible literally says, keep chasing your spouse. What you did to get your spouse, you need to keep doing to keep your spouse, right? So, so keep chasing Keep the romance in your marriage. Um, the Message Bible in Malachi 2.15, it talks about marriage. It says this, God, not you, made marriage. Right? So the Supreme Court did not make marriage. The Supreme Court does not define marriage. God made marriage. God defines marriage. Right? And when we do it the world's way, we get the world's results, which are not good. But if you'll do marriage God's way, you'll get his results. Listen, his spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. So the spirit of God, the Bible says, he inhabits the smallest detail. He is concerned about every aspect of our marriage. And when we put God first in our marriage, God blesses our marriages. Yes. 
Okay, so we wanted to mention just a couple of things that if you just read Genesis chapter one and two become very obvious when it comes to the subject of marriage. Number one is this, God created male and female in his image and in his likeness. Both male and female are created in God's image and in his likeness, right? They are equal, but different, right? And God really made us to complete each other, not to compete against each other, but to complete each other. Second thing, marriage is ordained of God. Again, it's God's idea. And God's idea is one Adam and one Eve, one man, one woman. That is God's design. Now, if you read, for example, in, in the Old Testament, you find that people had multiple spouses. And I've had people come to me and say, well, it's in the Bible. Why can't we do that? Right? Um, Jesus really addressed this. In Matthew 19, the Pharisees come to him and they're testing him. And they say to Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus said to them, have you not read that he that made them in the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So here's what Jesus does. When the Pharisees come and they have a question about marriage, Jesus, this is his answer. Haven't you read that in the beginning? What Jesus does is he takes them back to the beginning. beginning all right. In fact, they go on and they said, well, Moses commanded us to divorce our wives. And he says, no, Moses did not command you. He permitted you because of the hardness of your hearts. But in the beginning, it was not so. So what Jesus said was God's original plan was not for divorce, but because of the hardness of your hearts, it was permitted. Again, Jesus takes them back to the beginning. Um, when you go to seminary, one of the classes that you take is called hermeneutics. It's just, how do you interpret the Bible? That's all it means. I mean, you know, educators always give big, fancy names to simple stuff so that the rest of us don't understand. All right. So one of the first principles that you learn is the principle of first mention. The first time that any subject is mentioned in the Bible, you find the predominant truths about that subject the first time. That's why Jesus said, haven't you read that in the beginning? Jesus takes them back to the beginning. And in the beginning, there was one man and one woman. One woman. Right? That's God's plan. Right? That's the template that God wants. Now, did people mess it up? How many of you know people mess a lot of stuff up? Right? Was that God's plan? Never. Never was God's plan. You always go back to the beginning. Right? Hey, third thing, God created sex. Um, your bodies were, were, are, you, are, are sexual. You were created for it. God is not shocked or horrified by sex. He made sex to be wonderful, to be pleasurable, to be fun. Right? Now, I, I, I literally had a, a, a person come up to me. This was several years ago. And they said, well, I'm holy. I'm holy to God. And my spouse and I, we do not have sex. 
because I'm holy. Yeah. Um, the truth is, you're flaky. Right? But, but literally, I, I took them to Genesis chapter 5. Now, this is what it says. It says, Enoch lived to be 65, and he begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and he walked with God, and he was not, because God took him. Right? The New Testament tells us that Enoch pleased God. And for 300 years, he walked with God and had sons and daughters. How many of you know what's happening at Enoch's house? He pleased God. He was a person of faith and he walked with God. All right. God is not surprised. God's not horrified. God created sex. All right. And we aren't letting the devil steal it because that's what he tries to do. All right. Now, God created sex for inside the confines of marriage. All right. So anything that's not inside the confines of marriage. All right is not God's plan, whether it's adultery, incest, prostitution, polygamy, pornography, pedophilia, homosexuality, fornication, bestiality, friends with benefits, all right? Anything except sex inside the confines of marriage with a man and though his wife is not God's plan, all right? Number five, there is to be no shame in sex between a husband and wife. In fact, the Bible says it this way in Genesis 2.25, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed, right? They were not ashamed. And what the devil will try to do is he'll try to bring shame. Now, here's what, here's, here's Satan's plan. Before you're married, the devil will do everything that he can to get you to have sex. And after you're married, he will do everything he can to keep you from having sex. Somebody should say, hallelujah. (laughs) All right. Now, and then lastly, right? Your spouse is your standard for beauty. So if your spouse is tall, you're into tall. If your spouse is skinny, you're into skinny. When your spouse is in their 20s, you're into the 20s. But when your spouse is 60, you're into the 60s. If your spouse is formerly skinny, you are into formerly skinny. You put, listen, you put all of your passion in one direction. In Proverbs 5, the Bible says, let your fountain be blessed. Now, the fountain here, if you'll study this, it's very clear. The fountain is talking about a man's sex drive. Right? And it's called a fountain because it's just bubbly. It's just bubbling just bu- all the time. You know, it's kind of like, it's bubbling up there. It's just there all the time. It's just there. All right? All right? And if you look in the context, the woman's sex drive is called a cistern. Right? And uh, a cistern is a well, but it's got a cover on it. Right? And you've got to take the cover off. It takes a while. All right? But you, you get that cover off, and there's some good, cool water in there. I'm telling you right now. All right? Verse, this is the Bible. I said to Jeannie, I said to Dave, I said, you know, the devil tries to steal sex, but 
We aren't letting them steal sex. Sex is God's idea. It's good, it's right, and it's holy. All right? So it says, as a graceful deer, and a, oh, excuse me, a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured, literally like intoxicated with her love. Right? So the Bible says for your sex drive to be blessed, which is what we all want. He says you focus it in one direction, one direction. Right? And God says it will be the best. He's not trying to keep us from something. The exact opposite is true. And when I read that verse, I, I put along inside my Bible where it says if I, we all love the idea of him being enraptured with us and enraptured, but it says enraptured with her love. That means we got to do some loving. We got to let the love of Jesus. We love the man and pay attention to him and give to him. And, you know, if, if you're not loving him in a way that's captivating and intoxicating, then we need to up our game, right? Come on. Girls, we, we really, um, we make choices that affect. It's not just, oh, God told you to love me and be enraptured by me no matter what. I don't have to take care of myself. I don't have to. I could even be a nag, and I could nag every day and be ugly and complain. And that's not being very intoxicating. And so, you know, we got some cool decisions that we can make to make a difference and be loving. Right. Now, we're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to talk about a wounded heart or a broken heart. When Jesus said why he came, why he was anointed. He said to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. Even before physical healing, there's there's the healing of a wounded or a broken heart. And it affects our relationships, particularly our marriage, but every relationship. And and here's the the thing. Um, if, If I get cut with a knife, right? Over a period of of weeks and months, it will heal. But if you get wounded in your spirit, time does not heal it. You build walls to protect it, but it does not get healed. And somebody years later touches that. And when they do, all the pain comes back. And the reaction comes back. So in Proverbs chapter 30, it says, under three things, the earth trembles and under four, it cannot bear up. So the earth cannot bear up when a slave becomes king, a fool filled with food, an unloved woman gets a husband. An unloved woman gets a husband, right? Now it's the same spirit that's talked about in numbers where it says, the spirit of jealousy comes upon him. It's spirits of, in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, it's referred to as the spirit of jealousy, right? Here is talking about the same thing. There is talking about the man. Here is talking about the woman. It affects men and it affects women, right? But it says when that unloved woman gets married, it says the earth cannot bear up underneath it. Now, the reason is this, in, in, in Psalms 31, it talks about the brokenhearted person. And, and this is how it ends. It says, I'm forgotten like a dead man. 
I'm out of mine. It's like, I feel like nobody cares for me. I'd be better off dead. But listen, I'm like a broken vessel. A person with a broken heart, a wounded heart, is like a broken vessel. Now, if I've got a vessel that's broken and I pour something in, what's going to happen? It's going to leak out the bottom. See, and that's what happens. And it's talking particularly in Proverbs about the marriage relationship. So her husband says, man, I love you. I care for you. You're awesome. But you know what happens? It all leaks out. Because she doesn't feel loved. She doesn't feel valued. Right? And the result is you don't trust. You know, what, where, where were you? You know, you were, you were, when, we were, you, when we were in Costco, you were looking at that girl. What, what's going on in your mind? You know, why were you late? I don't trust you. Right? I'll follow you and I'll check up on you. See if you're really doing what you said you're going to do. Yeah, all of it stems from a broken heart. Because no matter what somebody does to fill the vessel, it's broken. And it leaks out. Right? And the result of it is a lack of trust. And really, it's a lack of love for yourself. And it's a lack of valuing yourself. Really, not just that, oh, I don't trust him, but if if you see yourself as unloved, you will not, you will interpret every act of love toward you as as, uh, having an ulterior motive. So so, um, for a woman, and it would work the other way around too, but for the woman being unloved woman, her husband can tell her he loves her, he can bring her flowers, he can do the dishes for her, he can um, fix her, his car, he, he can do all kinds of normal love expressions for his wife, and she doesn't receive it. She won't believe it. It leaks out. Uh, it, it, it just, and I don't know about you, but just think about all that you do for your kids and what if they, oh, you don't love me. Well... Yeah, I love you. No, I don't believe it. I mean, if someone refuses to believe that you love them, um, there's not, you can't do anything. Their heart needs healed. The broken heart needs healed to be able to receive the love that's given them. And the truth is, even if you were rejected, you were uh, abused and, and unloved in your um, growing up years or whatever the situation was that, that broke your heart, the truth is you are loved by God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. For you, he loves you. He loves you. It's a lie that you're not loved. And, and um, if this person, that person, the other person did, did wrong, you do not have to live your life based on those wrongs and those hurts and say that, that what God offers you and, and the love that he gives you and the love that other people give you, that you can no longer benefit from that because Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted and he can heal that hurt and mm-hmm. give you the opportunity to be a whole vessel again. That's a supernatural work to have God give you a whole heart. Jesus said... He, God, has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Time will not heal a broken heart. 
But Jesus can heal a broken heart. And again, when it isn't healed, we build walls to keep people out. And what happens is strongholds form, and they are literally strongholds of distrust. And it literally causes us to see things that are not there. We perceive things that aren't there. In fact, in First um, Peter 5, in verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him. Now, the word be sober there is talking about the strategies of the devil. What is he doing? Right? One of the, the, the meanings of the be sober is to not have negative speculation. Not have negative speculation. Well, I think that you were doing this, and I think that you were here, and I don't trust you with this. It's all negative speculation. And the Bible says that is a tactic of the devil to destroy relationships. It's one of the devil's tactics. All right? So in Psalm 69, it's talking about Jesus on the cross. This is what it says Reproach has broken my heart. Reproach has broken my heart. Jesus had a broken heart so he could heal your broken heart, right? And again, it's in our relationships where this is the most manifested. And because marriage is the closest relationship, you see it mostly in marriage. But it happens in all relationships. And the devil uses things, like he uses a broken home, divorce, rejection, abandonment, broken promises, you were cast aside, you were forgotten, unrealized expectations. Devil uses all of those things to wound, to, 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 to try to break a heart so that we won't be able to function normally in life and particularly in our closest relationships. Right? So the Bible says the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. God is near. Healing is not far off. But I want to talk to you about four things uh, when it comes to healing a broken heart. And number one uh, um, would be Mark chapter 6, verse 36, or Mark 8, 36. It says, for what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world, but he lost his soul? So when God looks at you, this is what God says. You are of more value than this whole world. This world will pass away, but you are going to live someplace forever and ever and ever. After the stars fall from the sky like ripe autumn leaves, you will live on forever. And God looks at you and says, you have more value than the entire world. Secondly, Jesus is, is praying in, Psalm, in, Psalm, in John 17. This is what he says. And have loved them as you, God, have loved me. So this is what Jesus just said, that God loves you exactly the same as he loves Jesus. That'll blow your mind. But how many of you know God practices what he preaches? And God says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, God loves you with the exact same love as he loves Jesus. You are loved, whether you realize it or not. You are loved and you are valuable. And then thirdly, forgive. Forgive the person 
that said something, the person that rejected you, the person that abandoned you, forgive that person, right? Um, the Bible says it this way in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9. It says, don't hasten in your spirit to be angry because anger rests in the bosom of the fool. When we do not forgive, listen, there is something on the inside of us against somebody else, right? And the Bible says it rests there. It's there all the time. It may not be manifested all the time, but it's there. It's right under the surface. So when we forgive, we, 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 we literally, we say, God, I forgive that person. I turned them over to you and I ask you to bless them. God takes care of it. It doesn't mean what they did was right, but it is necessary to forgive and to pray for that person. And then lastly, uh, in Ephesians chapter three, the, the book of Ephesians, particularly the first three chapters are written almost the exact opposite of the way we think. Right? When, when people pray, now, now, now Paul's writing a prayer down that Christians are going to be praying for thousands of years. Right? It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't pray like most of us. We would say, God bless them. God help them. God do a new work in their life. God do something. But I want you to listen to this prayer that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what's the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is what Paul prays. Paul prays that we would understand what God has already done for us, right? Not that God would do something new, but that he would open our eyes to understand the love that God has for us. Because when we understand that love, it changes everything, right? So this prayer in Ephesians chapter three, I believe that every believer should pray. And if, if there's, if there's a broken heart, you should pray this prayer every single day. Because when the revelation of God's love comes, it brings healing to a broken heart. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Um, but we're, we're not going to close the service quite yet. There, we, we, we all recognize that there's physical healing through the laying on of hands. But it's all, there's also healing for broken hearts. And so today, if, if you say, Pastor, Jeannie, I know that at some level in my life, there's a broken heart. I've built up walls to keep people out. There's this distrust. I, I'm, I, I think I'm seeing things that aren't even there. And I know I was wounded. And time doesn't heal the broken heart. It just lets us protect ourselves and build walls. If you say, I, I've, I've been wounded in my heart and I need healing. We want to invite you to come forward. We're going to pray a prayer and we are going to simply come by and lay hands on you and agree for healing of a broken heart. And we're going to release the healing power of God. Jesus said, I was sent to heal. 
the brokenhearted. And that's the ministry that the church still has today, to heal the brokenhearted. So if, if you say, Pastor, that's me, I, I'd like prayer this morning. I want to invite you to just come forward right now. We're going to be praying a general prayer, then we're going to come by and we're just going to simply lay hands, lay hands on people. And, and literally, that healing anointing that Jesus came to bring, to heal, is going to be manifest in this place this morning. we thank you that you did carry the reproach you took the reproach the wounds the hurts you took it upon yourself so that we could be given healed whole complete hearts we could be freed from the reproach we could be freed from those wounds and we thank you for that right now. God, I thank you for e touching each of these hearts. Taking what the memories, taking the hurts, taking it away, completely away. We thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses each heart from every defilement of the flesh, from every wound from every enemy in the name of Jesus. By your spirit, you make these hearts whole and, and new and complete, restored. And God, we pray now that you open their eyes to see the wonderful things that you see in them, that they can have their eyes open to see wonderful things in your word and receive from you the right perspectives and the right thoughts that not only our hearts will be healed, but their hearts will be filled by your spirit, filled with your love now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.